If you do not have a copy of God's Word, and you would like one, um, please go ahead and raise your hand, and one of our ushers will, will bring you one. Today we are going to be in Luke chapter 9, uh, verses 46, all the way through um, uh, chapter 10, verse 24. So kind of lengthy again this week, but next week we should be on, uh, back on track um, and, and once again, this, this passage is kind of a turning point passage in, in Luke's account of Jesus' life and ministry because right here, um, Luke emphasizes in, in verse 51 that now Jesus is starting to make his way to Jerusalem. And so most people will say that, that from here on out is about a six-month span until Jesus' death, until Jesus goes to, cross, to the cross. And so what we are seeing in this passage is a sense of urgency that's being built up. We saw at the beginning of chapter 9 that Jesus sends out the 12. Now we are seeing Jesus send out 72. It's always been a part of Jesus' plan to train people and send them out. Jesus wasn't about hoarding people. He wasn't about just starting a little clique. Instead, what Jesus' whole life in ministry was about is to train up the disciples to send them out to take the wonderful news of the gospel to the ends of the earth. And we get a picture of that this morning. And so what I'm going to do for us is I'm going to read this passage. Um, I'm going to pray for us once more, and then I'm going to unpack this passage um, uh, for us. So starting in verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 46. <clears throat> An argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side and said to them, whoever receives this child in my name, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all is the one who is great. John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not stop him. For the one who is not against you is for you. And when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparation for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And to another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, 
No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Chapter 10. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter first, say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you and remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But wherever, whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. And woe to you, Torazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, Will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me. And the one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. And the 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son, who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desire to see what you see and did not see it and hear what you hear and did not hear it. Father, we ask for insight and knowledge into your word this morning that you would be gracious and kind to us, that you would continue to strip away idols, that you would continue to soften our hearts hearts to this good news and that you would make us 
obedient to your word, to the calling of being a disciple. Father, would you please comfort the weary heart for the son or daughter that's been living in rebellion, would you, would you convict them? Would you be so kind to lead them to repentance? And for those who are far from you and do not know you, would you please reveal yourself to them this morning? We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Whew. There's a lot going on in this passage. And so what I would like for us to intentionally look at this morning is, is the evangelistic urgency that we're seeing throughout this passage. There seems to be a, a theme and a thread that is going on here. You know, Sharice's grandpa, Grandpa Pats is what he's called, or, or um, to our nieces, they're called, he's called Great Grandpa Howie, um, is, is one of the most interesting men that I've ever gotten a chance to, to continue to get to know. He, he grew up in Pound, Wisconsin, which is this really just small town that you could throw a, a rock across. He, he grew up into a, a, a family that was a, a huge family. It was like nine kids, I think. Um, they all lived in this tiny house in the middle of nowhere, out in the country, and um, he has, Grandpa Pat's has, one of the most evangelistic, urgent hearts to share the gospel with people. It's absolutely incredible, the urgency that he has. It's so much so that I kid you not that he makes his own tracks to give out to people. And there's this clever saying that he has on the front of his track that says, the house I was born in twice. Kind of clever. And he gives it to people and people see this and they're, they're, they're shocked by it. It's a, it's a provocative thing. And he always keeps about five tracks in the front of his pocket right here with his yellow um, mechanical pencil. So that way when he has a chance to hand out one of his tracks, he can. I remember uh, last year we were sitting down. They normally go to, to Florida for the winter. And uh, uh, we were sitting down with them as they got back. And he told Teresa and I this story about how he was in a car um, going from one place to another place in Florida. And, and a, a, a panhandler came up to him. A homeless person came up to him asking for money. And he said, I don't have money for you, but I have a tract. And as he gave the person a tract, the person said, I kid you not, this is in Florida, right way bigger than Pound, Wisconsin. Pound, Wisconsin's maybe 500 people at best on a good day. The person says, oh, I have one of those already. This man has an evangelistic heart, a, a heart that is gripped with the reality that people are going to hell. So much so that if I could just finish up this introduction uh, this way, is that he goes to the home, or not the homeless, but he goes to um, the Rennes Center. Uh, he, he will go to, um, uh, not the Rennes Center, Therese, where is it? The nursing home, that's it. He, he goes to the nursing home at least weekly. And what he does is when he gets back home, he busts out his little yellow mechanical pencil and starts to write down the conversation he had with that person so that, when he goes to that nursing home again, he opens up his book, he reads the conversation they had, and he can start a conversation with that person again. 
he, he has such this evangelistic grip that he has a little silicone, or silicone bracelet with these different colors on it. So that way, when people ask him, what does this bracelet mean? He starts walking them through the gospel. Hearing some of his stories is just incredible. I mean, he's not an educated man. He, he grew up working in his family's factory. He never went to college. He, he has a high school diploma, and yet he is gripped with this reality that people are really going to hell. You know, but far too often our human nature wants us so badly to be lazy when it comes to sharing the gospel. Or it wants us to think of these humanly excuses. I'm not that educated. I'm not a great speaker. It could cause a very awkward conversation and I just, I don't want that. I don't want to, to lose my friend I don't want to seem as this, this weird Christian. Let me just tell you, Christians are supposed to be weird. But these are realities that plague the hearts and minds of, of believers, is it not? We, we far too often in life kind of go through the motion without this reality that heaven and hell are for real. What we are seeing in our passage is that Jesus is now saying it's time. It's time you are to go out and boldly preach the gospel to the lost. God's people, what this passage is showing us is that God's people have always been people with a heart for the lost and least likely to proclaim the gospel and the good news. And so what I want to look at today is, is, is two things. I want to look at the, the heart of reaching lost people. I want to look at the obedience of reaching lost people. Because when we don't have a heart, we won't have obedience. And normally where there's no obedience, that means there's no heart. So we see this malfunction that is happening in us. If we look to um, the end of chapter 9, what I want to take a, 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 a look at is the heart for reaching the lost. We come to verses 46 through 48, and what we see the disciples doing right here is arguing with themselves. Who is the greatest? And some are saying, well, I'm the greatest. I just, I casted out this demon when Jesus sent out. And others are saying, well, no, I'm the greatest. I, I, I maybe only casted out five demons, but they were, they were ruthless demons. And others are saying, well, you may have done that, but I proclaimed this, I proclaimed the gospel, the kingdom of God to this many people. And this many people came to say that, yes, we will follow Jesus with our whole lives. And so what the disciples are doing right now is asking this question, who's the greatest? Because obviously the work that I do is what makes me great, is it not? And what Jesus does is knowing their thoughts quickly shuts this down. He, he tells them, he, he takes a, a little child that's near him and he, he points to this child and he says to the disciples, 
whoever receives this child in my name receives me. See, this is something that would have been completely just um, blinded the disciples. Because at, at that point in history, children, children were, were the absolute least likely people that you could ever imagine. They couldn't contribute to the family. They couldn't contribute to the society. So they had, in the world's eyes, in the culture's eyes, nothing to contribute. These children, if anything, they're just kind of like leeches until they can finally pull their weight and start chopping some wood. They're not useful to us. And yet what Jesus does to show and rebuke the disciples is he takes a child, this insignificant of that time child, and says, whoever receives this child, Whoever receives his child receives me. And then he goes on to say, for, who is, for he who is least among you all is the one who is great. In, in, others, uh, in other accounts, one of the things that Jesus says um, is, if you want to be great in the kingdom, serve. Those who last will be first. Is this not what Jesus is showing us through his life and works? I mean, Jesus himself says, I did not come to be served, but to serve. And now what Jesus is doing is taking this child and saying, if you receive this least likely child, then you will be great. It's not about the status that you receive. It's not about who you Proclaim the kingdom of God too. So are you willing to take the kingdom of God to the least likely? You see, what we see going on here is this pride being built up within the disciples' hearts. To have a heart of evangelism is to have a humble heart. It's to see that all have fallen short of the glory of God and deserve to hear the gospel proclaimed to them. Because the wages of sin are death. But the free gift is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And so the heart of an evangelist is somebody who has a humble heart, not a prideful heart. Because what we see next is what it looks like to have a prideful heart. As then they are rebuked by Jesus in this way, John then goes on to to um, answer this and he says master we saw some someone casting out demons in your name and and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us but jesus said to him do not stop him for the one who is not against you is for you the the prideful heart will always always try to wedge in between the church disunity Brothers and sisters, there are Bible-believing Christians who may not agree the same political standards as you or, or theological standards as you that are proclaiming the kingdom of God. And that is good news. Just because they aren't a part of our tribe doesn't mean that they aren't doing God's work. You see, far too often when we have a heart full of pride, what happens is we tend to um, corner ourselves off into a tribe that makes us feel comfortable. 
It can be tribes like social class or racial tribes or political tribes or theological tribes. And within those tribes, what we can tend to do then is then even make them a little smaller. I'm a part of this, this, and this. And so obviously, if you don't believe the same thing that I believe, that's heresy. That's wrong. But Jesus isn't calling for disunity. He's calling for unity amongst those who are on mission for proclaiming the kingdom of God. Now, please don't hear me say that when it comes to important doctrinal truths, we shouldn't call out heresy where heresy is or call out false doctrine where false doctrine is. I'm not talking a, 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 about saying let's unify with those who believe in the prosperity gospel or, or um, believe um, in other types of heresy. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying that we should unify with, with them, but, but with those where, where we have common ground. What is preventing you and me from coming together in unity to see the gospel taken to the ends of the earth? And so what Jesus is saying here is that we must be unified, brothers. John, we must be unified. If, if he isn't against us, then he is for you. But what tends to happen when we are prideful, it leads to tribalism. And tribalism then leads to condemnation and judgment on others. We see in this next passage, you know, this next, this next part, verses 51 through 56, kind of make me uh, uh, laugh a little bit. Because the disciples must have really been feeling themselves quite a bit uh, in order to say... Jesus, do you want us to, to call down fire from heaven to consume these people? See, see Jesus was, was on his way to Jerusalem and, and he was going to Samaria, a, a, a place where Jews and uh, uh, Jews didn't get along with. See, so Samaritans would have been kind of like half-bloods. They were, they were like mud-bloods. They, they were part Jewish, part uh, Samaritan. And so the Jews would have looked at them as not fully part of Israel. There was a lot of beef that went on between these two groups. And so Jesus is going through there and, and they say, no, we don't, we don't want Jesus here. And so the disciples wanting to stick up for Jesus then say, you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume these, these suckers? <laughs> we'll take them out, Jesus. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I've never gotten so angry in my life where I've said, okay, you know what? I'm just going to call down fire from heaven on these people. But yet here we see the disciples looking at these people and being the judge over them. But what does Jesus tell his disciples when they enact their judgment on the Samaritans? Jesus turns to them and rebukes them. He rebukes them. He rebukes them because the, the mission of God is not a mission of condemnation and judgment. 
Instead, the, the mission of God is of mercy. The, the mission of God is not death and destruction, but life and restoration. And so Jesus is rebuking his disciples here because they're missing the point. My message is one of mercy, not of, of judgment. Because when we are, are prideful and tribalistic, what we do is, is look at other people like the, the Jews looked at the Samaritans here and we heap on our condemnation and judgment towards them, saying we know what's best for them and that's fire from heaven. Oh, brothers and sisters, this is not the heart for reaching the lost. The heart for reaching the lost is one of humility whether it's proclaiming the kingdom of God to a young child or to an, an adult in their 80s. The heart of evangelist is one of being unified, champion, championing one another to see the kingdom of God proclaimed. The, the heart of an evangelist, the heart of for reaching the lost is one filled with mercy. And the heart for reaching the lost leads to then what the rest of chapter 9 says. So what we are seeing in verses 57 through 62 is, is the urgency that goes behind proclaiming the kingdom of God as we see three different people come to Jesus and say, I will follow you. And each three people, Jesus is drawing out their heart's desire. See, we just saw in, in uh, chapter 9 earlier what the cost of dis, uh, discipleship is. The, the cost of following Jesus is picking up your cross and denying yourself. And so what we are seeing here is, is this, this teacher um, come up to Jesus and say, I will follow you. And Jesus right away says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have, have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And what happens is this man exits the picture. I, I imagine him putting his, his head down and walking away because he wants comfort. But yet the mission of God does not bring comfort. It is a tough toil and so then another person comes and and Jesus then calls out or, or draws out the heart of this man but this man says Lord let me first go and bury my parents my dad and he says let the dead bury their their own dead but as for you go and proclaim the kingdom of God so what this 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 guy is doing here is is he is uh back in this time when when you would have buried your parents you would have received the inheritance and so some commentators say that maybe this guy heard what Jesus had said to the other one, that there was nowhere for them to lay their head. And so what he wanted to make sure is that he had enough to stay in the motel down the street if, if they, were, they were going. And Jesus says, no, leave the dead to bury the dead. We must go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And then yet another, in verse 61, it says, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at my home. And so Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. There is an urgency 
that is taking place here that Jesus is drawing out. There is an urgency because Jesus is coming back and he knows this. And Jesus' message brings one of life and restoration. And so Jesus is saying, follow me. The heart for reaching the lost is one of urgency. Do you have a heart for reaching the lost? Brothers and sisters, I just want to say that if we don't have a heart for reaching the lost, then there is a serious disconnect that is going on from our hearts to our brains or our brains to our hearts. Because you cannot be a disciple of Jesus Christ and not care about lost people. Let me read you something really quick. About 10 years ago, 10 years ago, there's a, um, a respected illusionist or, or magician is, is, is what he goes by, Penn Jillette. About 10 years ago, he, he said this. Now, Penn is, is an atheist. He does not believe in God, um, whatever. I was actually watching this video of what I'm about to read and he just very clearly and bluntly says, what, God? Yeah, there's no God. But he, he was talking about this encounter that he had with this Christian. He was talking about this encounter that he had where this, this Christian guy after a show came up to him with a, a psalm and New Testament Bible and handed it to him and, and, and said, you know, I'm no one special. I'm a businessman. I just wanted to give you this Bible and, and tell you that, that God loves you. Um, and here's, I wrote a little something in this Bible um, here's some phone numbers and an email if you ever want to reach out to me. And, and as he's talking about this in this like five minute clip, he, he says multiple times he had a great conversation. This guy was a good guy. He complimented me on our act and, and, and our illusions and, and all of this. But Penn then goes on to say this, an atheist, right? An atheist that we would say does not believe in God and probably would say, well, we, don't, we probably shouldn't evangelize to him because it may, might make things awkward. This is what he says. We need to, to listen to this closely. You know, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize or, or what that means is share the gospel. I, I, I've always said I don't respect people who don't share the gospel. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there is a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward and atheists who think people shouldn't share the gospel and, and who say just leave me alone and, and keep your religion to yourself. How much do you have to hate somebody to not share the gospel? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond the shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe that truck was bearing down on you, there is a certain point where I tackle you and this is more important than that. This is an atheist who fundamentally believes that there is no God and he is saying Christians that don't share the gospel are the most hateful people ever. Why? Because if there is really a hell and really an eternal life, why would you hide that from somebody? 
brothers and sisters, there's a disconnect going on when our hearts don't hurt over this saying. There is a problem in our hearts. If we can read this and listen to what he's saying, if we can read scripture and listen to what he's saying and and not feel a sense of, of conviction to go and share the gospel with lost people. Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, there is no second chance to share the gospel with your family members. There is no second chance to share the gospel with your neighbors. There is no second chance to reach the least likely. And so I ask, do we have a heart for reaching lost people, church? Because if we don't, we need to pray and repent. And we need to ask that God would start stirring in our hearts an urgency, a humility, a a, a unified, a, a merciful disposition towards lost people. And so when we have the heart for reaching the lost people, obedience always follows. And so maybe you do have a heart for reaching the lost people, but you're just kind of like, you know, I've got a, 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 my Enneagram is an introvert, and so I don't really know where to go. Or I'm too extroverted, and I just stick my foot in my mouth way too much. I'm abrasive. So let's look at chapter 10, verses 1 through 24, the obedience for reaching the lost. Verses 1 through 2, Jesus says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and and place where he uh, himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful and the labors are few. This is Grandpa Pat's life verse, I think, maybe. He quotes it all the time. But therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his house. In, into his harvest. Our obedience for reaching the lost should always start with prayer. I mean, Jesus says this right away. He says, The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly, earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Are you, are you praying for lost people? Are you praying for lost friends? Do you have those people in your mind that you know are not believers that you are praying for and pleading for with with God to save them? If not, ask yourself this question. Who then could possibly be interceding for their soul besides you? You may very well be the only person that they have in their life who's praying that God would reveal to them eternal life. And so we must be a people who who pray for the lost, but we must also be a people who are praying earnestly to send laborers. Like, I, I, I don't know about you guys, but I want us here at this church to be a church who is just sending people like crazy. 
I want to be known as, as that church that is sending missionaries to the mission field, sending church planters to plant churches, sending disciples and, and church members into neighborhoods, seeing their neighbors become believers. I want to be known as, as that church. But we must pray earnestly that God would send us laborers. I wonder this morning if we have any laborers in, in here. I wonder if we have any laborers this morning who is seeing the harvest as plentiful and wants to go out. You don't need anyone's permission to go out. Jesus already tells you to go because that's what we see next. Although we should be a praying people, we see next that Jesus then says, go. We are to be a people that go. The obedience for reaching the lost is to be a, an obedience of going as Jesus says in verses three through eight. Go your way. Go. Okay, you've, you've just heard this. The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Now go. Far too often we, we ask God, like, like, give me a sign. Give me a sign of who I'm supposed to reach and who I'm not supposed to reach. The person you're supposed to reach is the person that's in front of you. Go to your work. Go to the schools and pray earnestly for your students. Go to your jobs and pray earnestly for your coworkers. Go to your family members and pray earnestly for your family members. Go to your neighbors and pray earnestly for your neighbors. Parents, go to your children and pray earnestly for your children. Pray earnestly for your grandchildren. But we must be a people who go. We can't just be a people who pray. Jesus tells them to pray, but then he also sends them out. So pray and go. And Jesus tells us, because maybe you're thinking, well, that's kind of scary. That's, that's intimidating, Max. Yes, it is. But Jesus brings us comfort because he even tells them, he tells his disciples, like, look, guys, I don't want you bringing in any money bags. I don't want you bringing any, um, uh, any extra knapsack. I don't, want you to, I don't even want you bringing your sandals. Like, for real? I already told you guys how much I love my shoes. I keep my shoes on all the time. And yet Jesus is telling his disciples, I want you to just go barefoot. And he tells them, look, you are going out as lambs in the midst of wolves. There are people who will say nasty things, attempt nasty things, call you nasty things. And Jesus already warns that. And you know, quite frankly, here, uh, here in America, compared to other places, we got, it, we got it so easy. We got it so easy compared to Christians in the Middle East who are being beheaded for their faith. Our Chinese brothers and sisters, our Asian brothers and sisters who are being locked up. So we must go knowing that persecution will happen. But we also must know that there will be people who will receive us with peace. I mean, Jesus is encouraging, and I'm saying the, the harvest is plentiful. So, of course, you're going to meet people of peace who will welcome you into their home, who will receive this, this good news, and when they receive it, eat with them. 
But for those who don't, dust off your feet and tell them that it is uh, it, it will be more bearable in that day for Sodom that, than for that town. Do you guys remember Sodom and Gomorrah? It's, it's in the Old Testament. So what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah is that, is that they were a wicked and evil city. And, and, and God actually did uh, uh, consume them with fire from heaven. And what Jesus is telling them is that it's going to be more bearable for Sodom than for that town who rejects you. But, he says, even for those who reject me, the kingdom of God is still near. And so the obedience for reaching the lost is praying and going, and now what we see is speaking boldly. We must speak boldly. Maybe you're asking yourself, well, what do we speak boldly about? Well, I just want to to argue and say what we speak boldly about is that the wrath of God is set on all of those who are living without Jesus. We are getting to a crucial point in history where the church is starting to waver on that reality. Where sin isn't seen as something that God's righteous and holy judgment is upon, but sin is just kind of, I'm a little bit of a bad person, and if I just kind of clean up my act a little bit, then it'll be okay. But God's righteous and just judgment are on sinful human beings that are apart from Christ. Judgment day is coming. Without a doubt. But that's the bad news. But there's good news. And the good news is that, but Christ has come to reconcile all of those who put their faith in him. I don't know if you believe that this morning, but if you don't, this is just my my extension. You can believe this morning. You can believe by just putting your faith in Jesus. It's not working. You don't have to work for this. You don't have to, to clean up your life. All you have to do is look. Looking isn't very hard. All you do is look to Jesus and be saved all the ends of the earth. But we must speak boldly. We must speak boldly about the bad news, but we must also speak boldly about the good news. That Christ has reconciled people back to himself. That is, through faith, you can be saved from the judgment to come and be adopted as a co-heir to the kingdom. And so we, we pray, we go, we speak boldly, and lastly, we rejoice greatly. As we look in verses 17 through 24, we see yet, I don't know if you guys picked this up while I was reading this. Jesus, this may be one of the most strangest things that Jesus says in all of Scripture um, to me. Uh, As the 72 come back, they are rejoicing immensely. They are talking to Jesus about the demons they cast out, the, the sick people they healed, this and that. And right away, Jesus just goes into this saying and he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. What? (laughs) 
There, there are multiple ways that, that, that people kind of go about this. Some say that Jesus literally saw at the beginning of time Satan fall like lightning, which is, I mean, probably pretty possible. Um, uh, but what most people are saying is that what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, guys, I saw Satan fall like lightning when you were out there doing this work. The kingdom of this, this earth is wasting away and those that are rebellious against God are, are wasting away. And so while you were out there fulfilling this mission, I saw, I saw uh, 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 Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I saw it. You guys were doing my work. You were out there praying. You, were, you, you went, you, you spoke boldly. You, you were casting out demons and, and healing people. I saw him fall like lightning, but listen to what he says next. He says this, Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, this is an important nevertheless. Nevertheless, don't rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. What Jesus is... <coughs> What Jesus is saying here is great. You guys have done a great job. You're, you're pushing back against the, the, the prince of the darkness of the air. But don't lose focus because it's far too easy to let pride creep in and think, look at me. It's easy to go back to what Jesus is saying at the beginning of what we're looking at today. I'm the greatest. No, what Jesus is saying is, you should be happy. You should, you should rejoice that your names are written in the book of life. Hallelujah and amen. Christian, your, your, your name has been written in the book of life. And then he goes on to say, we, we see this, uh, this Trinitarian uh, passage next, that in the same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And then turning to the disciples, he said privately, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it and hear what you hear and did not hear it. I mean, Jesus is rejoicing greatly. This is actually the only passage in all of the gospels where we see Jesus rejoicing. And he is rejoicing that his disciples' names have been written in the book of heaven. He is rejoicing that, that people are coming to know him. And so the obedience for reaching the lost is rejoicing when the lost come to know Jesus. It isn't just a, a, a flippant thing. It's, it, it's, it's not like choosing a, a TV provider. This is an eternal decision that's being made. And so we should rejoice. You know, I, I, I want to finish. I'll wrap it up like this. <clears throat> 
okay, Max, maybe I'm a little convinced right now at what you're saying. Maybe, maybe Max, I'm seeing that I don't have this heart for reaching lost people and, and my obedience isn't there. Or, or maybe I do have this heart for reaching lost people, um, but, but for whatever reason, I can't, just, I can't get myself to, to uh, uh, obey. You know, I remember when I was struggling with this very thing myself. There were a few conversations that I had that was kind of a turning point for me. The, the first conversation was with, um, was with the old, uh, my old worship pastor. You know, I went into his office just kind of complaining to him, saying, uh, Robbie, I just don't understand. I just want to be used by God. I want to see people come to know Jesus. I want to, I want to do this and experience that. And, and what... Robbie told me was very, very sharp, but also so good. As he just told me, Max, what are you doing then? What are you doing? How are you obeying? Because you can't expect the Holy Spirit to move if you're not actually taking steps to allow the Holy Spirit to move. And we can't expect the Holy Spirit to move if we are not taking steps of obedience to see the Holy Spirit move. And so the second conversation that was really helpful for me was then with, with the, the lead pastor, Jay. Jay, Jay is a, 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 a mentor of mine. He, he's, he's, my, he's the guy who disciples me. And, and Jay told me, he's like, you know, Max, when I was a church planter in Denver, I had to switch my mind of, of waiting for people to come up to me and say, hey, share the gospel with me to who in here, God, are you working in that I can share the gospel to? Somebody in here, in this room, is being stirred and is thinking about you. Who is that? He said, every room that I went into, I started stepping into that room with that mentality. Do we have that mentality here? Do we have the mentality that as we obey, God's, God is, is not going to not bless us? Do we have the mentality that as we move, the Holy Spirit is going to move? And do we have the mentality or thought that any room that I am in, God is working in somebody's heart? You know, God's people can't sit back and continue to see lost people go to hell. We just can't. We can't do that. We can't do that here. We just can't. You know, I, I promise you, I'm going to close, I'm going to close this up. <laughs> but uh, Wisconsin is a dark place. And, and it's, it's a facade that makes it seem like it's not. You know, uh, uh, in a Pew Research poll on, on, uh, the, the, uh, from most Christian cities or most, most Christian cities to, or uh, states to least Christian states, you know where Wisconsin ranks on that poll? 44th, as least Christian. 44th. Did you know in a poll that, that Barna took on um, uh, most post-Christian cities on a scale of 1 to 100, Madison is, is at number 11, number one being the most post-city in America. So Madison is number 11. Green Bay and Appleton are 52. Uh, oh, Wausau and um, another place is, <laughs> who cares about, yeah, who cares about that place? Um, 
oh, that, oh, I'm so sorry. That goes against every single thing that I'm just saying, though, right? Like, <laughs> like, like that, but being serious here, that's, that's the seductiveness of, of this sin, of this lack of urgency that, that I could make a joke of who cares about that place. But yet they're 58 being post-Christian. Milwaukee then is 59. The, the harvest is plentiful. I just wonder if we have any laborers in here. You know, I, 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 I firmly believe, I firmly, firmly believe that as we obey God, the Holy Spirit's going to move. I believe if we put it, uh, took it upon ourselves every single day, if every single one of us committed here, well, there's maybe like 72 people here, it, maybe. Um, now everyone's looking around counting. Um, <laughs> I, I, I just, I really believe, guys, if we took it upon ourselves and said, until September, every single day, I'm going to take steps to see the Holy Spirit move, and I'm going to pray asking, God, who are you work- whose heart are you working in, and who can I share the gospel with? I think that we could make such an impact in the Fox Valley. One, that that uh, we would start seeing just amazing things. Two, I, I think that it would get to a point where we would have to consider about um, uh, getting a, a bigger building. It's definitely not about that. I don't care about that at all. But I, I'm just saying, I think if we take steps of obedience to do this, God will bless us. Why do I say that? Because we see that in this passage as the 72 go out and are obedient and God blesses them want us to be a church who sends. want us to be known as that weird church that is sharing the gospel with people. Even as simply as getting the uh, coffee from Starbucks and just saying, hey, I just want you to know God loves you. Jesus died for you. Who cares? Maybe they spit in your coffee, but at that point, you, you probably have it in your hand. Brothers and sisters, we can do it. We can. We've been given the Holy Spirit as a helper. We've been given each other to encourage. We have a God who tells us the harvest is plentiful. You want to know how, if you're like me, you want to know how, how, hard, how, how much, how big the harvest is? Count the stars. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. You sent your son Jesus to, to, to take away our sin, to, to purchase us back. But Father, we can't keep your good news hidden underneath a basket. We just can't do that here. And so I, I ask that you would allow us this passion, this stirring in our heart, this, this urgency um, uh, that, that you would put in our hearts a heart of humility, a, a heart of being unified, a heart of mercy, and a heart of urgency to then go out and obey by praying and going and speaking boldly and, uh, and rejoicing. Father, would you please use us? Be gracious to us here. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your son. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that guides us day in and day out. Amen. Yeah.